Welcome to the Shields Outdoors podcast, your source for information on hunting, fishing, and all of your outdoor passions. Good evening, everyone. Welcome to the last night of our virtual hunt series. Tonight, we got Sam Soholt here to talk whitetail. My name is Ben Fleischacker with Shields. I help with all the product development with Shields and Shields Outfitter products. So we're going to get into it. We're very excited for it. It's the last night. We got Sam, heavy hitter. Everything he does is public land, which is incredible. That's going to be a lot of our audience out there as well. We have a price package up here. We're $3,200, which not, is not all up here. There's a lot more to it. But we've got a package from Sitka through uh, Shields as well as Vortex. We're very excited for that. But let's go ahead and get into it. Welcome, welcome tonight, Sam. How's it going? Good, good. Thanks for having me on. Absolutely, man. Where are you at? Uh, so I am sitting in the public land van That's in awesome. front of my house, but I wanted to show off the interior a little bit. <laughs> you got some good woodwork in there. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Had to make it, you know, kind of give it a little bit of that Western feel, a little bit of that, you know, North woods feel with all the pine. And, uh, if anybody's familiar with the school bus that I converted, it kind of brought a lot of those elements, uh, into the van as well. So really cool. Yeah. Great. So how's your summer going so far? It's good. It's fast. You know, it's, uh, I think everybody this, this year started and, uh, seemed like it really drug on with everything getting shut down and everything, mm-hmm. but man, like from, from that point till now, just seems like a blink with everything that's happened. Um, so it's, you know, mid August and we're, you know, I leave on Monday for the first trip. So it's, uh, it's here and uh, I'm getting awesome. excited for the rest of the year. Really? Absolutely. So yep. where are all you headed to? this year uh so i'm gonna be doing kind of a great plains tour i'm gonna be hunting north dakota south dakota and nebraska and then eastern montana for antelope um yeah and then my brother lives in colorado and he's got a bunch of good tags so i'll be out there filming him and and hanging out with him out in colorado quite a bit as well very cool yeah that's super exciting well it should be fun we have about ten thousand questions but first if you don't mind kind of give us a little rundown for any of the audience out there that may not necessarily know who sam sohold is who is yeah. Sam? Yeah, for sure. So I am, uh, I mean, I've been a photographer and videographer in the hunting industry for about a decade. Um, but on top of that, I kind of transitioned into being kind of a huge public land advocate, um, mm-hmm. somebody out there as a voice raising awareness about public land issues and educating people on how they can get involved with uh, not only conservation, but habitat projects, access projects, um, how to get in touch with your legislators and uh, actually, you know, get policy passed, which is the most important thing. But yeah, I've kind of been um, doing uh, road trips, if you will, whether it be in the in the bus or in the in the now the van, mm-hmm. uh, kind of using both vehicles as a as a driver, or a rolling billboard to uh, talk about how important our public land system is, and uh, and then give back and raise money for conservation. So that's kind of yeah, been the last few years really. That's fantastic. And there, you do something with duck stamps, right? Yeah. Yeah. So I've done, uh, so my brother and I started a company when I started the bus project called public land tees. And so $5 from every item we've ever sold goes right back to conservation. And, uh, one of our initiatives has, uh, has been the stamp it forward project. And, and last year we rolled that out and it was a way where we basically pooled money together, um, from individuals who wanted to donate and make a direct shot to conservation as well as companies. And, um, we ended up purchasing just over a thousand duck stamps and raised $25,000 for the federal duck stamp program. And if people don't know about that, it, uh, 98% of those dollars by law have to go directly towards wetland habitat, access the national refuge system and maintaining those wetlands, um, for the future. So it's, uh, it was a very successful project. And then on top of that, we've 
kind of seeked out, um, you know, access projects. We donated $5,000 to the Rocky Mountain Elk Foundation for the Falls Creek project in Montana. We did uh, a little over a thousand to South Dakota chapter BHA for an access project. We did 2,300 for Pheasants Forever for one of their Build a Wildlife Area campaigns. So mm-hmm. yeah, we try to spread it out and kind of hit all of the different markets within the hunting industry and really try to help out all of those different segments of um, all those different public land user groups. Yep. That's great. What what got you into hunting? Uh, My dad, you know, growing up in a, in a hunting family um, and just like walking pheasant fields in South Dakota (laughs) before I could like see over the top of anything, you know, remember being, you know, whatever, five or six years old, walking down a corn row, just, you know, with the corn, whatever, six feet above my head. Mm -hmm. Uh, Oh yeah. It's been, been forever. I've been either in a truck with my dad hunting or hunting myself since I can remember. Yep. Yeah. What's probably your greatest memory so far? Oh man, it's hard. It, you know, it's really hard to choose just one. Like I grew up a, an avid waterfowler mm-hmm. and, uh, there was a moment that, um, this was way back. Uh, I think I was probably like 13 maybe. And we were in this beautiful cattail slough and it was just an absolutely awful day. Like just low clouds kind of spitting rain. And, uh, all of a sudden, you know, you get one of those sunsets where the sun will peak below the clouds just enough. Yep. And it absolutely lit up the marsh, like completely golden bronze, like everything illuminated below the sky. Mm-hmm. And this whole group of bluebills came in and flew in right in the frame. And so you had this crazy dark sky and then these bluebills, it, I mean, it looked like a painting yep. and not one of us pulled up our guns to shoot. <laughs> just <laughs> so we just watched it all unfold and had that moment and then it was gone yep. and then it clouded back up but yeah like that's you know that one has always stuck out in my mind growing up that was just being with my you know four of us in the family sitting out in the little duck boat in the middle of a marsh having mm-hmm. that happen it's pretty special yeah that's pretty cool especially yep. the number of days you spend in the field i mean i i do agree with you about trying to figure you know nail down just one or two memories i mean yeah. Per year, or, you know, are we talking about life or what? I mean, right. it's just there's so many <laughs> awesome experiences that you get to witness out there. Even and it's not even killing something always, you know. It's yeah. just about ex- yeah. Most, you know. most of the time, the best experiences aren't when you're shooting something. Yeah, it's it's everything else that goes into it. Yep, absolutely. Well, there's literally a whole page full of questions, so we're gonna Perfect. jump in. It's about seven oh six. It's gonna be the earliest we've jumped into questions, but <laughs> uh, we've been running out of time to answer all these questions. So first one up here. Uh, favorite climbing stick stand set up for public land. So, uh, the last few years I've been kind of mixing and matching. Um, I've been doing the muddy pro sticks. It's they're like a 20 inch real short stick. I do a set of four and then the lone wolf, um, just their, their smallest hang on stand. Um, just, yeah. Um, the, what's that one called? The alpha. And then, um, I haven't, I actually, this year I'm kind of excited. I'm going to try out, there's a company called Timber Ninja that makes a carbon fiber stick. And then, um, I'm going to give those a shot and then, um, tethered sent me a saddle. And so I'm going to give, give that a try too, and see what the, see what the saddle craze is all about. So, um, you know, kind of take that run and gun style to the next level, but yeah, I've had really good luck with the muddy pro sticks and then that lone wolf hang on. So, yeah. Do you leave your stands out at all? Not typically, you know, I used, I used to, and then I, I ended up having guys hunt my stands or, or I never had anything. Um, but I just, I felt like it was more important. Like I liked doing like the hang and hunt setups more than, more than leaving stuff out there. Yeah. Very yeah. good. Yeah. All right. We have got the other one. What is your advice for a hunter that is 
starting to be selective and focus on mature bucks? Uh, if you're going to focus on a single deer, um, you gotta, you gotta figure out their pattern, like their home range. Um, mm -hmm. and you're really going to have to focus down on where they're eating, where they're bedding, or like try to find the best idea where they're bedding and then their travel routes. And a lot of the times those mature bucks will start to move less and less their home range, even during the rut won't be that big. Mm -hmm. And so you're really going to have to, you're probably going to have to be, uh, more aggressive a lot of the times if you're going to, if you want to kill one of those big mature bucks, um, you know, and if, you don't have to be aggressive all the time, but at some point you're going to have to swing for the fences. Yep. Yeah. Hopefully don't blow them out. Right. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Which I, I do think that was another question on here. Uh, if you jump a deer in the morning going into your stand, do you change your strategy and set up for the day? Uh, not typically, you know, the deer are used to like being bumped all the time, whether it be a coyote or a, somebody farming or somebody just walking through or whatever it might be mm -hmm. deer get pushed around all the time. And again, like most whitetail have a home range. So it might, if you really bugger one up, it might be a few days before they kind of loop back around and make sure it's safe. But most of the time they're going to circle back in every once in a while, you'll have one that'll blow out for good or just move enough where they're not being pressured. Yep. But no, if I bump a deer in the morning. I mean, I've, I've, I've killed deer after bumping deer, uh, in the morning several times. So I typically don't worry about that because I'm going, if, if you go in real early, like that's the, that's the trick. You want to be going in, in the dark. Yep. If you bump deer in twilight, it's a little bit different story, but if you're going in the dark, I wouldn't worry about it too much. Absolutely. All right. Advice for public land spot and stock. This will be a good one. Advice for public land spot and stock. <laughs> um, let your optics do as much of the walking as possible. Mm -hmm. And if you can, I mean, obviously there's going to be a lot of people listening here that are hunting big woods. And so that's a different, a different story. But if you have spots where you're going to be able to actually glass up a buck and watch it go to bed or, or know where it's bedding. Um, I mean, that's, that's kind of the, the game I play is hunting more like prairie States. Mm -hmm. And so um, I would say, let your optics do as much of the walking as possible and then spend the extra time really picking apart and planning your route very specifically and making markers, you know, cause once you, if you're looking at a deer through a spotting scope, that image is completely compressed. And so when you get there, that bush doesn't look like the bush you were looking at mm -hmm. and it might be 200 yards from where you thought it was. And so you gotta be very careful when you're planning your route into uh, actually do spot and stock whitetail. Yep. Do you use any yep. decoys or anything or ghillie suit? Yeah, or? I, yeah. Um, typically like when I'm, when I hunt from the ground, I carry a, a heads up decoy that I can throw on my bow, mm -hmm. uh, because it one for one, I might be able to decoy a buck right in. Like last year I killed a deer from the ground at 10 yards and, uh, he, he was coming in to kill me yeah. and it was awesome. It was one of the craziest experiences ever, but, um, I carry a decoy, not only sometimes I'll just carry a doe, because it'll allow me to cover ground and get through some of those open spots that I wouldn't necessarily be able to go through if I didn't have a decoy. So yeah, yeah I'm a, a very strong believer in decoys. Very nice. Even on public. Yeah. Even on public. Yeah. I mean, don't do it during the rifle season, but <laughs> there yeah, we go. that's what I was waiting for you to say. <laughs> yeah. Don't do it during a rifle. Right. It's right. just like reaping turkeys. Don't do yeah, it on public. Exactly. Don't do it on public. <laughs> no. All right. What is your pack for your day hunts? What pack do you guys um, use? So I have been bouncing for whitetail. I've been bouncing back and forth between the Sitka tool bucket mm -hmm. or the, the new Sitka cargo box. I got a chance to try that out last fall. Um, but yeah, either one of those two or the, uh, um, 
the mystery ranch treehouse is another really solid whitetail pack um though what i like about the treehouse is it has a little bit more structure to it mm-hmm. and so when you're when you're loading it and unloading it like the bag doesn't collapse on itself so it's easier to kind of like sneak things on in and out of the bag without having to move a lot of stuff around makes sense yeah best tips for a beginner hunter what did you do obviously you probably had some mentorship growing up but yep. magazines videos i mean yeah honestly uh like now with how many resources are available through youtube yeah. it's on like the amount of information that's out there now compared to when i started hunting like i made a lot of mistakes i had no idea what i was doing mm-hmm. and just kind of like fumbled my way through it and happened to get lucky on a couple deer those first few years um but man like you know people like the hunting public they're constantly talking about strategy and what they're doing and every step of the way um if you go to the hunters connect youtube channel it is literally a channel for the new hunter and it's uh you can go in and everything from how to hang a tree stand or how to clean a deer or yep. you know like every step of the way hunters connect has um, videos for the brand new hunter mm-hmm. uh, but yeah i would just i would just consume as much youtube content as possible and and people like the hunting public or i mean really like those guys are putting out a lot of information so i'll try content. my best this year but um yeah white adrenaline all the all those guys are doing a really good job talking about the different you know strategies and what to use and where to go and what mm-hmm. to look for i mean even down to like mapping whitetails and stuff oh, wow. so it's uh, yeah there's there's more than enough content out there on youtube yep now, do you prefer to spot and stock whitetail or set up in a stand? I typically stand hunt unless um, unless I'm hunting a real open area and I'm and I'm just trying to get uh, like more of a view of like what the deer are doing on the property. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I typically stand hunt and I'll and I'll look for um, pinch points and stuff like really tight to bedding areas. Um, yeah, I'm I'm more of a more of a stand hunter than I am a ground hunter for whitetail. Um, obviously that changes when I'm chasing mule deer and elk, but, uh, yep. but yeah, for whitetails, I'm typically trying to find something I can get a little elevated. Very good. <laughs> Any new snacks you're looking forward to this year? Hashtag snack list. For that one, you're going to have to stay tuned. I've got a whole list of ideas to, to keep, continue to change the snack world in the whitetail game. <laughs> Not a boy. <laughs> yeah. If, Very- uh, if, Please, please tag me in all of your snacking adventures and uh, use the hashtag never go snackless. Good so. job, Jason. <laughs> Not yeah. sure where you're from, Jason, but that's a great question. All <laughs> right. Um, is it better to stock or sit and wait for a deer? It's uh, situational. So if you can, you know, if you have a, an area that's a pinch point or a funnel or, a, you know, if you can get in tight to a bedding area where you know there's going to be a buck that's... Um, uh, going to be cruising through scent checking that mm-hmm. type of thing. It's better to just ambush or wait for them, stand hunt, whether, or, you know, ambush hunt, but there's times where, you know, the situation calls for putting a stock on, you know, if they're bedded in a perfect location, if, uh, if they're locked down on a doe in a spot that's stockable where you can either get, you know, like close and then pop up a decoy and try to pull them away from that doe, like that's a good situation, but you really got to play it by, you know, kind of what, what the deer movement is in that area and what they typically do. Um, yeah. So it's, you, you kind of got to play that one by, by the situation. Yep. Now do you use any scent control or obviously clothing, but what about like dead downwind or nose jammer? Do you use any during the rut, pre-rut, any hormone yeah. sense? 
typically no. Um, uh, I, I will use nose jammer jammer every once in a while. And I know like I have seen that work, mm-hmm. uh, but I, I typically just count on the wind and play that and hope for the best. Cause yep. I, I used to, used to dive real deep into the scent control and washing clothes and stuff. And then, you know, with, with how much distance I typically cover and like I'm hiking in, you know, a mile, two miles into my stand or whatever, like any scent control that I did ahead of time, like is wasted on that. Yep. Uh, now there are things to mitigate that, you know, you can, I typically don't wear all my layers on my way in. I'm, I'm hiking in and trying to stay cool and then putting stuff on at the tree. And, um, but yeah, I'll use nose jammer every once in a while, but typically just play the wind and go for it. Yep. That's been a common theme all week. It's playing yep. the wind. Yep. All right. What's your advice on bucks that have gone nocturnal? Uh, so, uh, there's probably gonna be a lot of people that hate me for saying this, but bucks will go nocturnal in, in the area where you're seeing them nocturnal. So <laughs> I know, I'm going to try to make sense of that. So those deer are still moving during the day. Yep. They're just not moving where you are. 100%. So they, they are adjusting to the pressure. And so they might only move through where your trail camera is or where your tree stand is or whatever during, during nighttime, but mm-hmm. they are moving during the day. I mean, a buck is a buck and it's going to rut and it's going to move and it has to eat and it has to water. Um, so it's, it's probably more of a, you need to change your tactic, um, to get in front of that deer or figure out if it's moving somewhere else during the day. Um, maybe try to set up an observation stand and get eyes on it somewhere else where you think it might be coming from or going to, um, but yeah, typically deer won't go completely dark. It's very rare that they won't move at all. So, yep. I would yeah, definitely get all the hate for that one. Nah, <laughs> well, sometimes the truth hurts, right? Yeah. <laughs> they are moving though. At least getting up. Yeah, they are moving. Maybe yep. not three, 400 yards, a half mile, two miles, but they are moving. Right. right. Their exactly. observation stands a really good call out. Yep. All right. What's the most important thing to do when you're preparing for the season? Um, that's a good question. I mean, obviously you want to be dialed in on, you know, shooting your bow or shooting your gun. Um, but I think, uh, typically what I do to get prepared for the season is I'll spend a lot of time in the spring. Like if I'm out Turkey hunting or whatever, Mm -hmm. it's a dual purpose mission. So I'm looking for sign that's still fresh enough where all the leaves are still dead and all the grass is still dead, where I can see travel routes and I can see old rubs and scrapes. Um, so I do a lot of scouting in the spring and then I spend, I can't even tell you how many hours I spend on Onyx maps or, you know, any type of e-mapping service, but I typically use Onyx and I am, I have a system where I'll kind of relook at an area and I'll go into look at pins where I didn't get to last year and I'll make a point to go like scout that this year. Mm -hmm. And then I'll break that down even more and I'll put like, you know, a different color pin or a different, you know, like uh, emoji or whatever on the pin. And so like, this is a, this is a, whatever, a top, 10 spot that I want to go hunt this year or check this year. Um, but yeah, I spent, you know, scout a lot in the spring, spend a lot of time on your e-maps and, and don't be afraid to go scout those areas that most people will overlook. Mm-hmm. Cause a lot of times like those little nooks and crannies, little, you know, like triangles of public or whatever, um, people think they're too small and it won't hold the deer. And a lot of times deer look, they're just looking for spots that don't have pressure. Yep. So you gotta, you gotta go seek those out. Absolutely. Yeah. Is there anybody out there in the world that you want to hunt with that you have not yet? Like who's your, who's your dream mentor, dream hunting partner outside oh, your wife, outside your brother? 
Yeah, Let's no, that's, that a, out, that's but... a good question. Um, you know, growing up, I always thought it'd be fun to go hunt with Jim Shockey. Uh, you know, cause he's like, he's always been like the Canadian staple for like mm-hmm. big animals. Um, I think, I think it would be pretty fun to go spend a, a week in camp with him. Yeah. Yeah. All right. How can you stay aggressive without over hunting? If you only have a small plot of land to hunt. Um, so I think you can, you can be aggressive, more aggressive in the off season. So I like, uh, I think what you're going to want to do is you're going to want to spend more time on the ground, like really figuring it out. Like those where deer are traveling. I mean, go out there with your mapping system and, and turn on your, your tracker and just walk the deer trails. And if you walk enough deer trails, you're going to eventually figure out where all those trails are crossing. And mm-hmm. so try to do more, um, do more stuff in the off season. That's far enough away from the season. So you can really get a hold on, like, if I'm going to hunt, if I can only hunt this spot like three days a year, cause it's such a small piece of ground. Like I know exactly where I'm going to go sit because I have done all of the research and figured out exactly where those deer will most likely cross with yep. this wind or that, you know, rising pressure or whatever it might mm-hmm. be. What's your, um, these are kind of just, I mean, we're machine gunning these questions. I apologize, but yeah. they're literally pouring in right now. So Perfect. broadhead selection fixed yep. mechanical, which one do you like? Which, so which style? I, I, yeah, I've shot both. I shot uh, mechanical for a really long time. And then uh, three years ago, I just like decided that I was going to switch and shoot all fixed. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I've had good luck with both. Um, I, I don't know. I think whatever broadhead's going to fly good well for you. Mm-hmm. If, it's, if it's coming out of your arrow or coming out of your bow the right way, shoot that broadhead. Because um, there's nothing that's going to ruin a hunt worse than like having a, either a, a badly tuned bow or, you know, an arrow that isn't flying correctly and you're going to lose penetration based on arrow flight more so than like how the mechanical works or how the fixed blade works. So I've, I've shot both pick what, pick what you like and shoot that. I don't have a, a major preference. I've shot fixed for three years now, like I said, but yep. I'll probably, yeah, I'll bounce back and forth forever. Absolutely. Do yep. you do anything different with your arrows then if you're shooting fixed or mechanical? Uh, no, not typically. Um, you know, I'm running the same grain broadhead and as long, like I said, as long as I have my bow tuned and my arrows are still flying nice and I'm hitting where I'm aiming with my broadhead, you know, whether it be a fixed or mechanical, like I'm going to go hunting with that broadhead. Yep. Game on. Yeah. yeah. All right. Do you prefer bow or rifle when you shoot whitetail? Uh, you know, I was, we were talking about this right before the show. I, right. it's the first time I've had a whitetail rifle tag in over a decade. So like prefer, I, I don't know. I, uh, I will hunt any tag that I can get. Yep. Um, I, 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 pr- I really like archery hunting whitetails because it extends my season mm-hmm. so much. Like I can hunt, you know, from September 1st until the end of December. Um, and I really like that cause I really like being able to soak up as much of the season as possible, but I don't have a preference. I'll, I'll use any tag for any animal, like any, anywhere. Yep. Absolutely. Yep. Um, are you going to be do making any stops at your van this year? It sounds like there's uh, where can we see the van or the bus in person? Uh, that's a good question. I don't have any planned stops at the moment, but maybe that's something, you know, like, especially like right now during a pandemic, that probably be like bad form to like throw, <laughs> like, throw get togethers. Yep. Uh, but maybe once all this settles down, um, you know, next spring, summer, whenever that might be, uh, can start to do some more like stops or planned events or, uh, get togethers along the way. 
you got 28 stores. I mean, right. I know. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Might as well make a whole tour. That's right. <laughs> Great. All right. Uh, let's see. Prefer morning or evening. Uh, I've always had better luck in the mornings. Yep. Yep. I, uh, and it, it, it may even just be a mental thing, but like, I, I like going in early and knowing that I have the sun's coming up on me and it's only getting brighter that there's nothing worse in my head than like sitting in the stand or sitting on the ground or whatever I'm doing and watching that sun inch down closer and closer and closer and like nothing's moving. And, 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 uh, like it just, it seems like there's, I don't know. I put too much pressure on that last like 30 minutes of the day. So I like, I've had better luck in the mornings. Yep. Yeah. All right. What type, what type of things do you look for when you're thinking about where to set up on public land that you've never hunted on? So going in blind, you've done your e-scouting. I mean, what's kind of that recipe you're looking for? Yeah. Okay. So deer, uh, I'm glad you asked this question because I've actually like, this was one I really wanted to answer. So deer need three things. They need food, shelter, and water. Mm -hmm. So when I am looking at a piece of land, so if public a lot of times doesn't have any food on it, but if I can find a piece of public that's close to ag and has, you know, and if the public has good bedding cover or it has a creek bottom or something where it's going to have good travel routes through to a bedding or a feeding area. Mm -hmm. Um, that's what I'm looking for first. I'm looking for good cover in between bedding and food. And if I can find all of those things either close by or on the piece of land itself, like I'm putting a pin there and I'm going to go check that out. Um, you know, last year was hunting a brand new area and, uh, it was kind of like a brother's hunt. So it was my brother and I, my dad and uncle. And, um, we had decided I had made probably, I don't know, a hundred pins. And basically we gave everybody a pin in the morning and everybody a pin in the evening. And it was like, all right, you're going to hunt here in the morning, here in the evening. And then you're going to come back and report like the sign that you've seen Mm -hmm. and, you know, deer movement and whatever it might be. And we were able to cover, you know, like how 40 spots doing that, um, just, just from bouncing around. So yeah, what about what I'm looking for? I'm looking for food, water, and shelter. That's it. Yep. What about transitions? Yeah. Yeah. So, um, you know, above and beyond that, like pinch points are really good. If I can find a Creek mm-hmm. bottom that really necks down to something that's under a hundred yards or under 200 yards. Um, and then you can go in there and really find where like it necks down. Um, yeah. Transition zones between, you know, if I'm looking for like where cover changes, you know, so if, if it's like a big area of timber and there's, um, you have a chunk of pines and then you have a chunk of hardwoods and then you have a chunk of brush if you can figure out where those meet or where some topography changes come together, Mm -hmm. you know, there's maybe different types of soil. If you have like gravel and then you, it goes to dirt and then there's a transition in the type of um, underbrush or whatever it might be, anything along those types of lines, I'm definitely looking for. And, you know, a lot of that will come, you know, you can see some of like the the pines and hardwoods you can look at on an EMAP, but the rest of that stuff, like to really hone it down is you got to go put boots on the ground. Yep. Yeah. And I think that's, no matter how great e-scouting is, you, you have to put boots on the ground. Yep. I mean, everything. Yep. I mean, especially in the, we were talking about this earlier too, but the Western Badlands, North Dakota, I mean, you can sit yep. there and look at your map and then you look in front of you, are like, there's no way that's the same thing because the right. elevation change and the little nooks and crannies that don't show up on the e-scout. Yep, exactly. All right. Uh, about what time do you guys end your morning hunts? Uh, earlier, like, you know, if I'm hunting late October, like I'm going to be done let's say sunrise, let's say first light is, you know, six 30. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm, I'm probably going to hunt till 10 30, maybe 11. Um, but if it's the rut, I'm going to hunt till two. 
Um, and, and what I've started doing the past couple of years is I'll hunt a lot longer into the morning, into the early afternoon. And then in the evenings, I'll actually drive and scout and just look for deer that are moving um, along edges or in fields or on lockdown with a doe out in the middle of something. Um, and I've, I've found a lot of deer doing that. And then I'll go back in the morning in a spot where I think they might be crossing and I'll spend a good chunk of the day in there. So, but I've, you know, I've killed um, over the past few, I've killed several deer now after that 10 a.m. mark, um, you know, up till noon. Um, you know, most of the big deer every year get killed between 10 and 2. So, yep. yeah. And is that very specific to the time of year? I mean, early season when it's still hot as blazes out versus, you know, towards that late October, early November time frame? Yeah, I mean, those uh, middle of the day bucks, that's definitely going to be when, when deer are starting to cruise and starting to rut. Um, early season, you know, if it's really early season, really hot, honestly, evenings are going to be the best because a lot of times deer are only moving enough in the daylight in the evening because um, they're already back in bed because it's so hot um, yeah. by, the, by the time the sun even comes up. So, yeah, if it's, uh, you know, like North Dakota, if you're looking at hunting early season and it's 90 degrees, I wouldn't even go out in the morning. <laughs> yeah. Hear that, everybody? Stay home. Yeah. So, yeah. Go to sleep, <laughs> sleep in, then, you know, go hunt the evening. That's right. <laughs> Uh, do you yep. see a difference when they have velvet versus not have velvet on their yes. movements? Yep. hundred percent. So, you know, when they're in velvet, they're typically still in their summer range. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and what I've seen in the past is deer will basically shed their velvet and then like drastically change their patterns. Yep. Um, so they're going from their summer feeding pattern to more of a, you know, staging for the fall or for the rest of the fall. And, uh, they're going to tighten up their home range and they're not going to travel quite as much. They'll still be eating quite a bit, but it's that you're not going to get the, the summer movement yep. like that. Yeah. Is there any way to predict what their summer pattern? So say I had 40 acre plot, a public, everything was good. Perfect scenario, not pressured, no cattle run being ran in there or anything of that. Now say mid September, all of a sudden nothing showing up on camera, nothing showing up in, you know, visually like where, where did that buck go? Oh, I mean, there's a lot of factors, uh, of course, like neighboring yeah, properties, right. but I mean, that's, that's a good question. I mean, I would probably look towards like really thick cover. Um, they're just going to be spending more time down, um, during, during daylight hours at that point. Um, because they're starting to put, what they're doing is they're starting to put on more hair and more fur. And mm -hmm. so they shed their velvet, they start to build their winter coat. And the, the best way to that I've heard that described, it's like putting on enough winter coats to then go lay in a snow bank and not have the snow melt below you. And so like you're, you're, it'd be like us going out in, you know, several of like the Sitka, like Kelvin oh, hoodies yeah. on top of each other and, and laying out, you know, on the ground. So they're not going to move much just because they're, they're so hot. Yep. Um, yeah. Very good. All right. Uh, what's your strategy for public land when you've got neighboring properties running feeders or food plots or whatever you might say, you still have I, those edges. Yeah, no, yeah, I, I embrace that. I'm, uh, I am definitely an edge hunter and, uh, you know, I'm going to look for stuff because a lot of times, like, even if people have food plots or they have feeders or whatever, like those deer, a lot of times aren't going to live near those feeders because they know that's human pressure. Yep. And so you can, you can find them transitioning on, you know, if you go find like a little, you know, plot of like real thick stuff or whatever, a lot of times you can catch them moving through some of that stuff on their way to a feeder or on their way to a food plot. Yep. Um, and you can kind of intercept them that way. Yeah. I mean, there's a lot of deer that will either bed on public or private, but either way, they're still coming through that public property at some point. Exactly. Yep. Yeah. 
catching them is a different story, but yeah, they do do it. Point. Yeah. All right. So, uh, what is the tag you have this fall that you're most excited for? Um, I have, I have, like I said, I have a rifle whitetail tag and I haven't had one in a long time. Yep. So I'm, I'm pretty stoked about that one. Um, I, you know, I love archery whitetail hunting, but I'm really excited to get up on a good glassing knob and try to find a, a good deer and then sneak in and, and put a bullet in it. So yep. that's, that's probably the one I'm looking forward to the most. What caliber are you shooting this fall? I am going to shoot a six, five Creedmoor on that hunt. Yep. yep. Very so, nice. Yeah. Very good. All right. What's your bow set up? And what do you recommend for newbies to get set up to bow hunt? Sure. Um, so I have uh, a prime black three. So it's a 33 inch axle to axle. Wow. Uh, mine runs just a little over 70 pounds. Um, I'm shooting a vapor trail drop away arrow rest, uh, black gold ascent um, sliding sight. So I have it's a five pin sight, but I can dial it out mm -hmm. um, if I'm shooting a little longer range. Got a stokerized stabilizer and a tight spot quiver is kind of, and then uh, the arrows I'm actually using, uh, they're called, it's Vector Custom Shop. Um, and it's a little, it's a, it's a thick walled, thin diameter arrow. Um, and it's super strong. It's got an insert outsert system. And so yep. um, I'm definitely not worried about blowing through something and having it break. Um, so yeah, that's, that's my setup. As far as newbies go, um, you know, my first bow ever was a bear, lights out package that I bought at Shields here in Fargo. And I, it was $329 for the bow sight, rest, quiver, stabilizer, and six arrows. And so, Dang. you know, and, uh, yeah, the, the first year, the first year I had that bow, I killed two bucks. And so you don't need to go spend a whole pile of money. Um, I would say for people just getting into it, you know, hunt for a used bow or look for, you know, like, um, every, almost every company has a main line. They have a pro line, which is, mm -hmm. you're going to be looking at about, you know, a thousand, 1200 bucks, 1500 bucks yep. for just a bare bow. But look at the main line. A lot of times they'll sell a bow that's shoots amazing mm -hmm. and will come with a package of stuff, um, like accessories, which you can then kind of tweak and change out along the way. Um, yeah, I would, I would just tell most people that you don't need to go spend two grand on a bow setup. Um, if you're just getting into it. Absolutely. Yep. I mean, we all want that. However, oh, of course. yeah, yeah. You don't need yeah. it. Yeah. Right. All right. So let's look at here. If you could hunt just one week, which would it be? I would hunt or, uh, so I would hunt for archery. I would, well, yeah, probably either archery or rifle. I would hunt November 5th through the 12th. Pretty consistent. No matter where you're at. In our, in our region. Yeah. yeah. Right. Yeah. And in, in this region that those would be the dates I, uh, I've kind of kept track of, um, you know, like what days that I've consistently killed deer on or seen good deer movement. Mm -hmm. And typically starting about the fourth is when it really kicks into overdrive. And then that man, that like fifth, sixth, seventh through the 10th is just lights out there as, as hard as it goes. Yeah. Now, do you notice a difference, um, depending on whether it's a mule deer or whitetail when it's say it's a warm rut? Yeah. So, uh, typically mule deer will rut hard a little bit later. So, you, you know, you know, if I was going to pick mule deer, um, you know, hunting during the rut, um, I would say I would shoot probably more towards like that 14th through the 21st of mm -hmm. November. Um, and then, um, yeah, that's, they're, they're going to be a lot more active or they're going to be a lot more visible during daylight, especially those bigger bucks, because they're going to have a group of does that's, you know, 10, 15, 20 does, and you're going to be able to pick them off and, 
and see oh, yeah. that giant, you know, <laughs> that giant rack following them behind them. So, yeah. but yeah, for whitetail archery hunting, the fifth through the 12th, for sure. You know, if you're further South, I would say probably a little bit later, yep. um, but in this region, the fifth through the 12th. Now I say it's 70 degrees when it was supposed to be 30 degrees. How does that change yep. your strategy? I just wear less clothes. <laughs> you're still sitting, right? <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, there was a year, um, 2016 it was so warm and uh you know it was like 55 degrees at night and just didn't feel like a rut you know and like i was worried about deer movement but i killed a deer you know it was like 63 degrees at 10 30 in the morning and he was just he was running as hard as i've seen a deer rut so um you know i think it can slow deer movement a bit mm -hmm. uh, but those deer are still deer and they're oh, still yeah. going to do what they're doing so absolutely yeah all right, we got a good one. If you can hunt only one area in the entire world, and you can hunt anything, where would it be? For what animal too? Um, man, that's a good. That's a really good question. You know, I ever since I worked at Midwest Whitetail, Whitetail have been like ingrained in my blood. So if I had to, no, I, I would. <laughs> I'm gonna change it. I would hunt waterfowl. Uh, in the eastern dakotas no kidding yeah wow that, it it's too good no it's you not know? it's horrible yeah you know for consistently amazing hunts and just like experiences that's that'd be a good one to 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 do the rest of my life absolutely i just wish they were more full-plumed when they're down yeah. here yeah for sure yeah, for I mean, sure we're, we're locked up on september 18th probably right all right so <laughs> How do you convince your wife to let you spend so much time hunting? How do, uh, <laughs> so fortunately, I'll, uh, my wife and I, our entire relationship, I have been on the road, sh either shooting photos, video, or hunting. Mm -hmm. And so it kind of came with the package. She knew what she was getting into um, from the get-go. Mm -hmm. But uh, yeah, and then, you know, I try to make a point that when I'm home, I'm home. You're home. So, yep. Yeah. Yeah. Full attention. Yep. Exactly. All right. What's your favorite whitetail recipe? Ooh, uh, depends on what cut, but, uh, the, the best way that I've found to make, you know, a backstrap or a big cut of meat or a loin taste good every single time is you trim all the silver skin off mm -hmm. of either, you know, the big cut of meat, and then you, uh, let it come to room temperature, uh, put a little olive oil on it to hold the seasoning. And then I season it with salt, pepper, and maybe a little bit of Montreal steak seasoning. Mm -hmm. I sear it really hot in either butter or olive oil. And then I, uh, I'll throw it on a pellet grill for um, uh, about, depending on the size of the cut, either six to eight minutes per side. And then I'm pulling it off, wrapping it in foil and letting it rest, wrapped in a, like a towel for about 20 minutes and then cutting it across the grain. Every single time it tastes good. I, I actually made good. it back last night and it's, it tastes, you can look at my Instagram story. It tasted amazing. Um, but yeah, <laughs> that, that's the best way. That's awesome. All right. Uh, what's your thoughts on calling? Do you use the calls? Yeah. Yeah. I actually call quite a bit. So I'll, uh, I'll rattle or I'll, um, I'll rattle quite a bit. Um, and I've had good luck with rattling at, it's funny. I've had better luck with rattling really late in the year. Hmm. So, um, you know, from like the 16th through the 20th of November, I've actually had better luck with rattling. Um, as far as like using a grunt tube and stuff, I, I will 
I'll blow a grunt tube like a duck call sometimes and just like <laughs> to get their attention. Yep. And uh, it's, uh, yeah, I, I call a lot. Do you spend any time chasing the uh, second rut? Uh, not, not typically, um, but that probably has come from being lucky and shooting deer earlier, like earlier in the year. Didn't need to. Um, and, and the other thing is I'm, I'm typically hunting several States. And so, you know, I'm going to hunt, you know, further North, I'm going to hunt a little bit earlier and then I'll work my way South and kind of hunt through November. Mm-hmm. And so a lot of times I'm not having even a chance to go hunt that second rut. Yep. Yeah. What is your, uh, what's your optic setup look like? Uh, so I run the Vortex UHD 10 by 43s, uh, for my binos. And I use those everywhere, um, from hunting the whitetail in the Midwest to, you know, everything out West. And then I have the, um, the Vortex Razor, um, uh, range finder. And then, uh, my spotting scope is a Vortex, uh, 20 to 60 by 80, um, Razor HD. So very nice. There's, there, I, yeah. I mean, if you're going to spend money on one thing, it's spend money on good optics. Absolutely. It, yeah. I mean, you can get by with a lot of other cheap, like inexpensive stuff, but spend money on good glass, whatever your budget of, allows, like buy that. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. hundred percent. I agree with you. Yep. All right. Do you, uh, yes. Do you do anything with ground blinds? Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I have, I, I've killed a bunch of deer on ground blinds. Um, and I've actually, I set a lot of ground blinds for my dad cause he's afraid of heights. <laughs> and so, um, he'll do ladder stands or ground blinds, but yeah, I, I love ground blind hunting. I wish they had a little bit more visibility and they're getting better now with like that, you know, primo surround view. Um, the 270 or the 360 is pretty amazing. Um, but yeah, I, I, I'll hunt on a ground blinds, especially, you know, in the Midwest where, or in the great plains areas where a lot of times you're going to have, um, not enough trees to hang it. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so if you're hunting your cattail sloughs or if you're just hunting like brush lines or wind breaks or whatever, like a lot of times those trees aren't old enough to even hang up in. So I'll, uh, I'll hunt out of a ground blind in those situations. Um, I don't like that they cut my visibility so much, but I yep. do, uh, I do like hunting out of them. Do you ever just sit on the ground, hug a tree? Oh yeah, for sure. Yep. And I'll, uh, you know, make a little brush blind or whatever in front of me. Yep. Um, yeah, I've, I've done that a lot too. All right. Would you rather be closer to food or water? Food. Food? Yep. Yep. Food for sure. Because, you know, if you have, say, a, a dewy morning or, a, you know, if, even like a small little bit of rain or whatever, like deer can get water in a lot of ways and they don't necessarily have to go to water um, every single day. So definitely hunt your food. Very good. Uh, what's your favorite post-harvest drink? Beer, whiskey, water. Uh, so we have a little tradition. We do a shot of whitetail whiskey um, at the every any time somebody shoots one in camp. Um, so, That's pretty cool. Yep, yep. it's terrible, but uh, <laughs> it, it's a good tradition. So we usually have like a shot of whitetail, and then we'll pull out, uh, you know, something a little bit smoother than that. Um, yeah, so. yep. a little classier. Yeah. All right. Okay, in the southeast, this is coming from Alabama, yep. uh, which we do not have any stores next to, which is awesome. So uh, the deer don't move much. Sorry, they're typing. Uh, the deer don't move much during the cold fronts, uh, and the whitetail get hard to find. What do you think they're doing? They're not coming. Uh, to, looks like they're not coming to bait piles, not coming in front of the cameras. 
I would say, I mean, you know, if they're not, if you're not seeing many deer moving during cold fronts or coming to bait piles or whatever, I would, I would make a call to your area regional biologist and ask them what deer densities are looking like at this point in time. Cause you know, 10 years ago, it may have been, you know, a super high density and mm-hmm. needed, you know, if there's something that changed, whether there was a die off or a transition, you know, for food, or if there was logging or, you know, something changed where there's just not as many deer in that area, that kind of, it sounds to me that there might just be less deer density in that, that area at this time. Do you think so predators would, play a role at yeah, all with that? Yeah, coyotes, maybe, maybe predators, yeah, maybe predators have pushed them out. You know, if there's a big influx of coyotes or, or whatever in the area, it's, it's possible for yeah. sure. But, um, yeah. What height do you place your stands at? Uh, it kind of depends on the tree, uh, but typically I'm probably hunting anywhere between, I don't know, 14 and 18 feet. Um, sometimes a little bit higher, sometimes a little bit lower, depending on, um, you know, what either what the tree is or what the terrain is around me. Um, I'm not uh, I'm not one of those guys that gets way way up uh, unless it's absolutely necessary. So you're not going 22 up? No. Uh, Try not to, um, as it gets to be pretty high. <laughs> um, and what I found when I'm doing hang and hunt stuff, like I, I could probably get away with hanging at 10 or 12 feet most of the time, um, in new areas because those deer are just not, they're not looking up, you know, mm-hmm. if they haven't come by and either seen someone or something in the, in the tree before, like they're not looking up into the sky. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, are there times of the year that you sit all day in the stand? I, um, I mean, there's, I've done it a few times. I don't do all day sits very often. Um, and I know there's people that do and have good luck doing that. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I have personally have found that my time is better spent hunting later into the morning and then, and then spending more time out on the road, scouting and Blasting. looking for new movement in the evenings and just covering distance. Um, cause if I can go into an area where I know that there's a buck near, mm-hmm. uh, I feel like my odds increase tenfold, um, knowing that there's something in there. Now, can that scouting trip turn into a hunting trip? Oh, 100%. Situation yeah, so, turns out right. Yeah. So the, the deer that I killed last year um, in later November was I was out there scouting a piece of ground. And I, I was out there at first light. and so I, But I was glassing for deer. And then I was just working my way down a tree row um, or like a, you know, basically a creek bottom mm-hmm. and looking for sign. And um, just ha- I had my decoy on my bow just in case because it was the middle of the rut and uh, just uh, kind of the way it all came together, I was calling one deer into the decoy and then me grunting actually called in a deer from behind me. And that's the one I ended up killing. I had to spin around while I was on the ground and he was, he was charging in to, to kill sweet. that decoy. So, um, yeah, scouting trips can definitely turn into hunting trips. And you're willing to take that risk, right? Oh yeah, for sure. If it yep. works out, I mean, don't blow it. Yep. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Very good. All right. What's your biggest three pieces of advice for someone going out West to hunt for deer? For going, um, I would say, um, play the wind, glass a lot, and uh, would be a third one. Move slower than you think you need to. Yep. Yeah. How many times do you turn back around and you're like, oh crap, didn't even see yep. him. Yep. So yeah. many times. <laughs> yeah, I definitely have learned to look behind me. It's not good because you always realize what you just did. But uh huh. All right. Have you noticed the rut changing at all? Moving up, moving back. You know, um, maybe a little bit, 
uh, you know, temps have been slightly warmer typically, like, uh, you know, it says like things have changed, or at least in the cycle that we're currently in. And so I would say, if anything, it's pushed back just a little bit, you know, like even I would say maybe a decade ago or like, you know, kind of when I like first started archery hunting, I probably would have said like my ideal dates would have been, you know, a little, like just a couple days earlier in November. So it hasn't shifted much. Um, and I, I honestly think that's very regional as well. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. All right. When you're at public land hunting, what, what's your standard for a buck? Are you willing to uh, shoot a 120 or are you trying to go for a, depending on that area, say you're, you're in Colorado on the Eastern yeah. plains where they got some stud deer out there. Are you yep. just, are you holding off on that 160, 170, 180, or are you willing to? Uh, so my, my personal rule <laughs> is if I'm on public land, I will shoot, I'll typically shoot a three-year-old or better. And whether that's 115 inch deer or 160 inch deer, like yep. I'll shoot a three-year-old all day long. Um, if I have access to private land, I'm typically looking for something that's four or older. Um, now obviously I'm always hunting for an older deer. Mm-hmm. Uh, but like if, if there's a good opportunity presents itself, like I, I don't have enough years on this earth to like, to pass those things up. So yeah. I like, I'm, I'm all in it for the experience. Um, yeah. And it's good to hear you say that about the maturity of the deer too, just not necessarily the rack size. Cause I mean, you shoot a deer like, oh my gosh, it's a fantastic, this happened last year to us. And, yep. you know, you go back, go in and get it checked in. They cut, you know, cut the jaw, take a look at the molars and everything. And they're like, oh, it's only a two and a half year old. What? Imagine <laughs> what it would have been like, you know, yep. if you just right. let it get a couple more years. So that's yep. great to hear that you're, you're shooting mature deer, not necessarily the rack size. Yeah, no, I mean, like, uh, I'd say two years ago, like I had a deer that was just, but this busted up three by three gnarly thing, you know, like, uh, pretty sure he was four years old, maybe five, but I'm pretty sure he was a four year old. But he came stomping in to a decoy. I rattled him in, grunted him into a decoy, and he came in all hackled up. And, like, I didn't – that deer was, like, 100 inches. And that was, like, one of the coolest hunts I've ever had in my whole life. So, yeah, I'm just I'm, – I'm hunting for a deer that's of a certain age and not I – don't, I don't really care about the antlers. Obviously, I would love to shoot a giant rack every single year, but yep. that's what I'm looking for. Well, that's been one of the questions for sure that showed up is what is your biggest deer? Uh, so my biggest deer was uh, high, like high one fifties. So, yeah, quality deer. Yeah, a lot, of, deer. a lot of states. Maybe not all yep. the states, but that's I mean that's a fantastic deer. Yeah, yeah. Anywhere, like I'll I'll sh- I'd shoot that deer anywhere. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. <Yep. laughs> yep. Yep. So what all states do you put in for special draws? Uh, so I typically I'm you know uh, Montana, Colorado, Wyoming, Idaho. Well. I've just started building points in Idaho, um, or at least put it like putting in in Idaho. And then I've been building points down in Arizona. Um, and I think I have, I don't, yeah, it's been like six or seven years that I started applying down in Arizona, just building preference points. Cause I know at some point I'm going to want to draw a really awesome elk tag and go down there and, and go, you know, in the land of the giants and go try to kill a giant. You have only 20 more years and you'll have enough points. That's right. <laughs> All right, uh, we've got about nine minutes. Actually, probably less than that. Probably got to do the drawing here in about five minutes. Yeah. Yep. So let's see. What's your thoughts about CWD? Uh, I think it's something we all need to be cautious about, and I think we should do our part on as you know, like to not transport it. You know, so whatever laws that they're coming out with, whether it be you know needing to do euro mounts, um, like in the field when you kill one, um, you know, like there's a 
think they're based in Minnesota. There's a company called Bridger Boiler that makes that little packable like um, yep. boiling kit. So, you know, like that's become easier. But I, you know, I think it's a serious issue that definitely could get worse. I think it's something that's been around forever. And, uh, you know, I think a lot more of the research has happened in, in recent years with, with all the funding put behind it. And so I think it's something that we need to, you know, stay on top of because if it does ever, you know, obviously there's never been a case where it transferred from animal to human, Mm -hmm. but if that, if that ever does happen, we're, we're in for a world of hurt, like in in the hunting community as a whole, um, because that'll be a, a very serious issue. So I think it's something that we, you know, definitely need to funnel money towards and, uh, it's just going to be an evolving situation. I know there's a lot of laws that are an absolute pain to uh, to work around, especially in states like Minnesota and Wisconsin. Now, with you know, if you kill a deer in one unit, you can't take it home until it's been tested. Yep. Um, but but hopefully, you know, they're working on a you know an instant test uh, at the University of Minnesota. So hopefully, they'll get that done and uh, and move be able to roll that out because then they can you know it'll make everything streamlined. So absolutely. I, yeah, I think it. I think it's good that there's that much research, and I think it's something we need to to stay on top of. All right, let's do two more. What's your strategy for an entry and exit routes? So when you're going to your stand or going to the place you're hunting, how do you how do you plan that out? Yeah, so most of the time, I'm I I'm just trying to avoid um, I'm just trying to avoid where I think those deer are going to be coming back from. Like you know, if there's a if I think they're probably going to be out feeding in a cut cornfield or a bean field or whatever. Like I'm going to try to do my best to access from the opposite direction. Um, if I can find, you know, depressions or low spots that I can work down or, uh, not necessarily a Creek bottom. Cause a lot of times that's a travel route, but if I can find a spot where there's like, at least I'm below the skyline for most, of the, most of the way in or most of the way out, like that's what I'm going to be looking for. Um, Absolutely. you know, standing, standing corn is a great way to enter and exit, um, ditches and, you know, but I'm, I'm just trying to find ways to, spook as few deer as possible but it's inevitable like you're probably going to bump some here and there yeah at least you're honest about that too yeah. i think a lot of us yeah. are not on or we don't bump deer what are you talking about <laughs> well i bumped deer all the time <laughs> i was a ninja coming in they didn't see me or hear me all right if you're do you do any food plots nope i don't nope, nope. do you have a favorite cover crop or ag land that you like to hunt over next to buy yeah you know i I've typically had better luck, uh, hunting over like, or near cut corn than I have like say a bean or a wheat field, you mm-hmm. know, maybe earlier in the year, those will work. But yeah, as soon as the corn starts coming out, I've had better luck along those edges. Absolutely. Yeah. All right. So we got Jamie S. She'll be our last question of the evening. Okay. Do you have, do you have a way to predict where summer buck beds might migrate to fall bedding areas? So we kind of touched uh, on this a little bit ago, but maybe we'll go in a little bit deeper. Yeah. Um, I guess I don't know. It's, it, uh, you know, without being able to watch a specific deer. Um, yeah, I mean, no, I, <laughs> I don't have a good way to predict that. Um, because every deer is going to be different. You know, some deer might, you know, in their summer, they might have a lot of things really close by and then, you know, and, um, or, or even, or the opposite of that, they may be willing to like move a little bit more for food if they can have really good shaded cover and, you know, keep the wind at their back and be able to see a lot, Mm -hmm. you know, and at all, they're probably going to go find some thick, nasty, something to go bed in. Um, that's probably closer to a doe travel route, I would guess. Um, or, you know, close to food, close to water. 
um, kind of narrow down that home range where they know they're still going to be able to do a lot of rut activity. Mm -hmm. Very good. All right. So we've got this fancy red envelope, Sam. All right. And inside here, we have a name of a person who is going home with $3,200 worth of awesome prizes. And some of those prizes are awesome, like amazing. Like Razor Razor Optics, Razor Scope, Razor Range Finder, Sitka Gear, like... This is going to be fantastic. Yeah. Drum roll. All right. So we've got a $500 gift certificate, Vortex Scope, Binos, and Rangefinder. And the winner is Dylan S. of Mount Pleasant, Iowa. Congratulations, Dylan. That's fantastic. I'm jealous. Yeah. Hey, Mount Pleasant, that's where my school bus was made. <laughs> no kidding. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> they had a bluebird factory back there. So 1993. That, yep. <laughs> that's small world do you ever see benny spies on the road i know we're now we're distracting but yeah no I, I i've never seen benny out on the road in the toaster <laughs> i was curious all yeah. right well guys this this concludes the the virtual hunt fest It's the first one we've ever done hopefully everything was value added for you guys and you guys learned some stuff we appreciate all the speakers sam thank you for for wrapping up the event for this week uh we're extremely extremely uh grateful for our sponsors we had a whole all sorts of sponsors this week Primarily Sitka, we really appreciate your guys' support, and uh, we're very excited. Let's see what else I'm missing here. Um, I think I beat Kirsten on what I'm supposed to say, so I hope everybody has a fantastic night. Any of the winners, if you guys have any questions, please reach out. Uh, Sam, you're very, very engaged on social media, so if there's questions that were not answered tonight, audience, please reach out to Sam. Uh, He's very accessible. Obviously, as you can tell, talking to him right here, very normal guy, down to earth, so he's going to be be pretty honest with you guys so we appreciate everybody and uh, make sure you guys are following shields outdoors on instagram and facebook and we will see you guys in the field thank you thanks sam thank you thank you for listening to the shields outdoors podcast Stay tuned for future segments and visit our social media pages, Shields Outdoors on Facebook and Instagram for daily updates.